If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd ask you to find John chapter number three. You know, when I, when I first started walking with the Lord, a lot of people were strange to me. A lot of people were inviting me to come tell my story. Now, it wasn't strange to me that people would tell their story or that I would be invited to tell my story. It was strange to me that when I got there and I would start talking to all kinds of groups, particularly I was talking to people who had been in trouble with the law, people who had been in trouble with substance abuse, everybody wanted to hear from me. Like, they would say, tell them about how you quit drinking. Or they'd say, uh, you know, tell them about this other thing, like, uh, you know, tell them about how you used to get in all this trouble with the law. Because what I was telling people was how excited I was to feel accepted by God and to have peace with God. Peace was the most surprising part of salvation to me. I was, I still am. I mean, to know that I'm not at odds with God and that, to my knowledge, like, if, if anyone's sitting in this room or who watches this on video, if you're my enemy, I, I completely, I'm, I don't even have a clue. Because I don't, I don't feel like I have any enemies anywhere. Now, I guarantee you somebody somewhere doesn't like me and they view me as an adversary, but I don't feel like I have any enemies. And it wouldn't do you any good because I'm sleeping fine. And they would say, tell them about, and that caught me off guard, that that's what they wanted to hear. I was blown away that I was accepted in the beloved. I was blown away that I had peace. I felt, I knew I was forgiven factually, but I also felt the joy of forgiveness. And so they would say, tell them about this. And I didn't mind telling them. I can tell you all my, all my sins, as far as I know. But it surprised me what people wanted to hear. As I went along there, I realized that the best thing that could happen to a man that happened to me, it wasn't just some outward change that was pushing inward. It was some inward change that was living outward. The other thing I would like to tell y'all as a way of introduction as I started walking with the Lord, Karen and I were, were dating back then. This was back in this really amazing time called the 90s. Anybody remember that? Not the 1890s, the 1990s. And, um, and one day, Kara said something that just caught me off guard, and, and I didn't like it, and she was surprised that I didn't like it. She said, I wish I had your testimony. And I got mad. I was like, are you a nut? I mean, really, are you, have you lost it? I, I don't even want my testimony. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? I don't even want my testimony. Uh, and she, I, it took me a while to understand where she was coming from. She didn't think her life had been interesting. I said, my goodness, woman. You know, I remember us looking at Ephesians 2 together. I said, my goodness, that you have been preserved out of so much evil by being a good girl, being raised in church, having a solid family, making more decent decisions and bad ones, and, and you realize that you are lost and undone, separated from the living God in need of him, you were blessed twice. I said, I want your testimony. And for, it took a while for it to sink in, didn't it, honey? She's like, ah, I know. <laughs> Can we trade? Go find that DeLorean. Steal it from Michael J. Fox. Let's go back. And I would love to fade out of my own picture and have a radically different past. 
That's the story we see in John 3. We see a guy who, by all intents and purposes, has been a good church boy. And it comes to him, I wouldn't say as a negative shock, just a shock. He's surprised that Jesus is saying, there needs to be more in your life. Something is missing. And it's so surprising to him, he can't fathom it. He can't understand what Jesus is saying. Here's what I wager. Sitting in this room tonight, there's some of both of us. And and degrees, you know what I mean? There's some of you who are like me. You have a past you would gladly forget if you could. You would love to forget your past. And there's some of you who've been good folks your whole life. And uh, some are, you know, probably somewhere in the middle, sort of good. But guess what? John chapter 3, verse 7 is for everyone. You must be born again. It's for everyone. It's for the people who have a sad testimony like me and who still needed new life from God. And it's for people who have a great testimony like care. She still needed God. She still needed life. And Jesus came to bring new life, a new life in which he would be preeminent. And that's what this passage is about today. Let's look at John chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. We'll go through 16, and then we'll bring 16 back out next week to start again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Hmm. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended unto heaven except him who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the Spirit in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, thank you for the opportunity to read this word publicly. Thank you for the blessing of being able to make some comments. But more than anything, God, I pray you take your word. You take it to your people and confirm and affirm our faith in Christ. You take it to those who may yet be out of fellowship with you and bring them to Jesus. And through Jesus, 
give us life. In Christ I pray, amen and amen. One of my favorite passages in the Bible right here. Why? Because here comes a guy with really big questions, and you don't, you don't see Jesus pulling out cliches, but you also don't see him pulling punches. You don't see Jesus dismissing this guy's fears, and you don't see Jesus dismissing his wrong notions. He deals with the whole package honestly, like what we would call a gentleman. He deals with the whole package honestly, like a gentleman. It's a primer for anybody who cares about people and wants them to know the living God. It really is. He doesn't avoid, he doesn't avoid um, Nicodemus's misunderstandings. He doesn't avoid Nicodemus's poor theology. He doesn't avoid Nicodemus's need. He doesn't avoid Nicodemus's sin. He even scolds him in the middle of this. He doesn't say, hey, you, you, know, you, know, you should never bring your questions. He just said, you're supposed to be a little more mature than this. What's happening here is we get a view into what it looks like when God draws the questioning soul to an answering Savior. And that's going on all around us. People have things that are going on in their lives, and what they want is they want peace, they want life, they really do want to know the living God. I mean, we're wired for it, we're created for it. They want to know what it's like to be right, to be at peace with God, and they want to know what it's like to live a shameless, passionate life. that They can get up every day and live with everything they got and lay their head on their pillow and say, I am okay. Everybody wants that. And what you get here is a picture of God drawing this questioning soul to the answering Savior. I guarantee you that's happening in this room tonight. And not just with lost people. Christians have big questions too. Just watch the evening news. <laughs> you, you, ever got, you ever notice that people, people will be going through big issues? And they're, but I'm a Christian. They throw that in there. And it's sometimes like it's, like it's an excuse. Jesus would say, no, questioning soul Come to me. And it's interesting, Jesus isn't the one hiding here. Did you guys notice that? It's Nicodemus. So let's look at a few ideas. I only got one point. The one point is not even in your bulletins. It's this. God draws answering, excuse me, questioning souls to the answering Savior. And let's look at some parts of this story. First part, wrestling with himself, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now, why do I say he's wrestling with himself? Well, let's look at some of the evidence. He's a Pharisee. He's a, a ruler among the Pharisees. Uh, biblical scholars say there was probably at that time about 6,000 Pharisees. Long story short, they wanted the glory of God to return to Israel. And their answer for that was, we need to adhere to the Ten Commandments and all the small laws that flow out from them we need to adhere to them with everything that we have in us. And, and, you know, so you see Jesus encountering these guys. He would say things like, you tithe of your mint and herb. They were very detail-oriented. Why? Because they says, if, we, if we'll go back to the law strong enough, God's glory will, will return. Well, guess what? He's talking to God's glory right now. But he's a Pharisee, he's an educated man, he's an influential man, says he's a ruler, but he comes to see Jesus at night. Now, some people say he was hiding, and I think that's likely, but maybe they just both had a long day, and that's when he could catch up with Jesus. 
It doesn't tell us why. We can surmise that he's hiding and he comes to see Jesus and he gives Jesus at least lip service. He says, Rabbi, teacher. In the, does he believe that or not? It's hard to say. Everybody becomes pop psychologists when they open the Bible. I'm going to resist that temptation. He at least, at least gives lip service. And I think perhaps he might have meant it. Why else would he come to him? Why would he have this conversation? Why wasn't he just having one of those plotting meetings like was so popular among his comrades? And he says to him, he says, hey, look, <laughs> Rabbi, we see God's with you. Uh, so, I, you know, I have a question. How do you do these things unless God is with you? And, and he says to him, he goes, man, you just need to be born again. Immediately, it blows it blows Nicodemus's mind. And the word he uses is a really interesting Greek word. It actually has three meanings. The word is anathen, and it means, it means to do something a second time. It also means to, to get a new beginning, and it also means from above. Its literal meaning is from above. So Nicodemus hears it. He hears him say, you need to be born again. So it's not a radically disconnected idea that Nicodemus goes, wait a minute. We, I, I've got to go through that again. My mom has to go through that again. There's young people in the room, we're not going to articulate that a whole lot. But it's not a ridiculous question. It's just not. He's wrestling with himself, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, man, you got to be born again, unless you're born again, unless you're born you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, man, you don't even get what's going on here. You're talking about the signs I'm doing, whether God is with me. There's way more. And if you could see, if you could see, then the signs are to show you what's really there to see. The signs aren't the thing to see. The signs are to make you see the thing that's there to see. Problem is, he's, you don't have the right glasses. Now, uh, nobody do this, Okay. All you young people do not do this. I hardly ever went to the movies growing up, but my cousin went to work at the theater. And he would go open the emergency door for us. And we'd slide in. And uh, one of the first ones we ever, he ever slid us into, it was, it was 3D. And we didn't have the little glasses. And all it, all it was is some parts, because they only did limited 3D. It was only in parts of it, you know. But the things that were supposed to be happening weren't happening for us because we didn't have the little glasses. And so I, I already had, I'd already paid for my skates at the World of Sports. And so I just said, man, I'm going back and skate. I can see skating clearly. This is no fun. The movie wasn't that interesting. I went, and I, you know, I tried to tell him, I said, hey, man, get us some glasses. He says, no, man, you got to have a ticket to get the glasses. I was like, oh, man. So I just left back out and went to the skating rink. I read this passage years and years ago. I thought, man, old Nicodemus wants to see the show, and he can't see the show. And Jesus is telling him, this is why you don't see the show. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know why so many people don't see the show, Jesus just explained it. Even people in hyper-religious circles miss what God is doing. And if you think new birth is a kind of a radical idea, I'm not going to unfold this. Guests, you won't know how blessed you're getting ready to be. Regular East Rockers, I'm not going to unfold these. 
1 Peter chapter 1, James chapter 1, Titus 3, Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 5, all of 1 John, new birth, new birth, new life, new birth, new birth. This is not the only place this concept is present. But it was radical to Nicodemus. So much so, secondly, that God often gives us more questions on the way to any sort of answers. I love verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm already old. How can, I, how can I do that again? I love to drive my friends crazy. I love it. Say, you say amen? Uh, Hayden recently experienced this. She was in my office. I don't even know what we was talking about. She asked me something, and instead of answering her, I asked her something. It's one of my favorite things to do. Isn't it Mary Lou? Where's Mary Lou? Mary Lou doesn't like that I don't give her straight answers. She should have never let me know she doesn't like it. Now she'll get even less straight answers. And when my friends fuss at me, I just say, I'm being like Jesus. Me too. But this isn't a crazy question either. Don't worry, I'm not going to go here. Nicodemus would have been familiar with his Old Testament. And if you look at Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, if you look at the post-Babylonian exile prophets, you know what they were teaching? They were teaching these three big things. You ready? There will be a gathering of Israel. And when God gathered Israel, they could, ex they could expect to experience a cleansing and a spiritual transformation. And out of that cleansing and spiritual transformation, they would be prepared to receive the Messiah when he came. Now, they had come out of exile, so God had gathered Israel. Say amen, church. In their mind, in their mind, all the suffering under the thumb of the Persians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Syrians and the Greeks and the Romans, that had been their trial by fire, their washing. So they said, we've been gathered. We've been washed. We now even have a government that allows us to celebrate all of our festivals. We've got Jews coming in from as far away as Egypt, what we would now call Eastern Europe. They're coming here to celebrate the Passover. There's all kinds of thumb, tongues. The gathering is happening. The cleansing has happened. So now we're just waiting on the Messiah. But here's where the Pharisees were wrong in their day. And this is what Jesus is working on. If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, I want you to hear this. Jesus, Jesus is trying to reorient his thinking in this way. The Jews wanted God to make them a special nation again with special respect among the nations, that they would be the preeminent country. Watch your evening news. That's what people want for America. Problem is America ain't Israel. Somebody say amen. And it ain't. America's not God's chosen country. He's blessed us, but when you read your Bible, don't insert America in there. But that's what they wanted. But you know what? Jesus is really trying to show him what's going to happen is instead of God moving into Israel and making her preeminent among the nations, he's going to move into humanity and make himself preeminent among your affections. It's going to be this personal takeover. And he's going to light lamps. He's not just going to light lamps in Israel. He's going to light lamps in Egypt and Samaria. He's going to light lamps in Macedonia. He's going to light lamps in Italy and Spain. 
He's going to light lamps in England. He's going to light lamps in Russia. He's going to light lamps in Northern Africa. He's going to move the gospel into India. He's going to take the gospel to this crazy little island in England. They're going to get on boats and come over and meanly take over a whole country and light lamps. Nicodemus' mind says Israel's got to be special. Jesus is saying, no, you got to get life. And so he tells them the new birth is absolutely a necessity, but it's also a mystery. <laughs> you got to have it, but guess what? You don't get to control it. You got to have it, but you don't get to control it. He tells them in verses 5 through 8, he says, listen, unless you're born of the water, born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. A lot of controversy on this born of the water thing. I see time is flying by. A lot of people think it means the baptism. A lot of people think it means your physical birth. At the core of what Jesus is saying, he means you need cleansing through regeneration. In other words, the inside of you has got to get cleaned and, new and made new. Come to life together this week, and we'll hash it all out. I'm going to keep using the excuse until everybody brings all their big questions to life together group. It's a ploy. So you got to be born of the water. You gotta, it's got to be something happens on the inside of you. And that's something that only God can do. How does he explain it? He says, hey, man, you know how you don't know where the wind come from and you don't know where it's going? Now, modern meteorologists would say, yeah, we know where it came from and we know where it's going. Can you explain who started it? You still don't know where it come from. You still don't know where it's going. You can just track it. You can observe it. He says, listen, the wind is coming from here and it's going over there. You can't explain that, Nicodemus, but you can see when the wind moves something. Now, somebody in this church ought to say amen. He just explained a big work of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to tell God what to do. It's absolutely imperative that God does something, but God's in the control of the doing. Now, wait a minute. Somebody's sitting here going, no, I get to decide for Jesus. Okay, folks. The Bible says you're born dead in your trespasses and sin. If you've ever been to a wake, you went to the wake. The dead didn't come to you. Now, this frightens me. I mean, my heart starts beating every time I preach on it because what it means is I don't have any control. But I'm here to tell you, if you read John 16, and if you go to church here for four or five more years, we'll get to John 16. <laughs> It'll tell you that what the Holy Spirit is doing is revealing Jesus to people. That's the Holy Spirit's chief work in this world. That's that wind is blowing. And like if you're sitting here tonight and you're wondering, is there ever going to be an opportunity for me to have the new birth? Woo! Stay tuned, baby. It's your night. Nicodemus is blown away by Jesus' answer. It's, it's not very comforting because what it's saying is, Nicodemus, this isn't up to you. This is a work of God. It's not a work of the flesh. The flesh can't produce this sort of thing. So fourthly, I, I would challenge us here. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. I would challenge us, like Nicodemus, let's process our confusion with Jesus. I love Nicodemus' answer. He doesn't run away. He doesn't say, you know, you must have the wrong translation of the scrolls. You must be carrying one of those rotten new international version scrolls. You must be having that devil besnotting message. 
No, he just goes, he, again, he asks a question, how can these things be? Now, this is where Jesus does indeed confront him. He says, hey, man, you're supposed to be a little bit more advanced than this. You know, don't send your church kids with me anywhere if you don't like these tactics, because I will pull it on your church kids. I will say to your kids, your mom and daddy should have told you about this. How many of y'all have ever said to a kid, you know better, because you know they know better, you know they've been instructed? Here's what he's saying. He's rapid. He said, hey, bud, you've had the oracles of God. You've had God's prophets, God's scribes, God's teachers. You've seen God's favor. You, you, you guys have the temple. You have all of the ceremonies. In other words, you got the word and the work. You've seen the presence in your midst. You should know this stuff. In other words, it's a condemnation that God had appeared to them many times, to them particularly and specially and amazingly. He had appeared to Israel, and Israel had missed it. And he's going, hey, man, you're in the elite of the teachers. It's been right in your face. But he doesn't stop with just the gentle rebuke. And trust me, if Jesus rebukes you, he's got a different goal other than just rebuking you. It's to bring you into understanding. So he gives him another metaphor. You know, he gives him another metaphor. God gives us many metaphors to match us with one master. And John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 are one of my favorite metaphors in the whole entire scripture. What he's referencing here, he's referencing Numbers chapter 21, if you want to look that up later. And he's saying, he says, hey, Nicodemus, this, and he's referencing himself, this is like that time out in the wilderness. All right, now be honest. How many of y'all scared of snakes? Uh, look, uh, I would say that's more people than not. Praise God. Me and Judah. I'm going to tell you what, though. If a snake gets me in the wrong position, your boy gets scared. I'll never forget, at a country store here one time, this guy was really afraid of snakes, and a guy snuck up behind him and clipped some... Uh, Jumper cables to his britches legs, some black jumper cables, and then yell snake. And that guy liked to tore that snake, a store up getting that snake off of him. True story. I just happened to be getting gas, walked in. He is going over one of the things with the canned goods on it. And that snake just got him. That ain't got nothing to do with the sermon. It just made me think of it. Good memories. Except it does. They were out in the wilderness. They were being disobedient. God made the world. God holds the world together. It's his to do with what he pleases. He judges his people. He judges them by sending a bunch of snakes to them. I've talked to God like this. I've just said, God, you can send me a horror movie. That's enough. That'll straighten me right out. I get scared to death every time I even see a horror movie commercial. If you're trying to get to me, and so I said that to God one time, and now I don't even have Netflix. I'll get emails saying Netflix has a new movie you'll like. You're opening it to be some clown with blood coming out of his mouth. Like, yes, Lord. I'm, I'm looking at the serpent. <laughs> but what happened was he sent these snakes and God says, listen, listen, if you guys want to be cured of these poisonous snake bites, here's what I want you to do. I've got Moses to take this pole and he's affixed a bronze serpent to it. Pole, y'all ready for this? Who's ready? And he's fixed a bronze serpent to it. 
And I want you to look at that and believe that is your cure. So you can read it yourself. Deuteronomy, the very particular passage, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And the people who did not look were not cured. And the people who did look, wow, y'all are quick students. They were cured. Was it the pole that cured them? No, it was God. That was their method of, of faith. So he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is like, man, I don't get how can I be born from above? How can I experience a new life? He's saying, Nicodemus, sin has bitten humanity. It has swarmed the whole of humanity. And everyone has been stricken by these vipers. But God has sent the Son. And if you will look upon the Son, look upon his works that you might believe, and in believing you might have life. Look upon his Son, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to strike the Son. He's going to pay for sin. He's going to bury the Son because it really killed him. He's going to raise his son because his son never did anything wrong. All that was for you. Nicodemus, you know the story in Numbers 21. God gives us an object of faith so that we can escape the subject of our sin. And this is Jesus. So I'll conclude tonight exactly where I'm going to begin next week. Point blank, salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. He explains to him, he says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Maybe if I explain like this, God so loved the snake-bitten world that he gave them, instead of a staff with a snake, he gave them a stricken shepherd. So they could look by faith on God's solution. God does all the work. They simply say, I believe in your work. I fix my eyes on your work. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So that whoever believes, puts trust in him, will not perish for eternity, but have life now through eternity. I tried to litter your bulletins, I hope every family got one, with all kinds of cool John 3.16 stuff. There's even, there's even one little uh, QR code that gives a great explanation from John Piper. Somebody's going to listen to it and go, Tim should have just played that. It was shorter and better. <laughs> but I put my suit on. I mean, I had to come over. I mean, I worked so hard on this. I have littered your, 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 your bulletin with all kinds of cool things about John 3.16 because it's critical. So where are we today? I know I've gone long. I have no regrets. This is literally one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's so encouraging to me because these days, as a believer, as a believer, I sometimes encounter some snakes. As a matter of fact... I have a wonderful story for you. This is for you Christians in particular. Tim had to go to the hospital one time because I was bit by a copperhead. 
Anybody want to guess what I was doing when I got bit? I was playing with it. I just described the church. A lot of us are bit by sin because we playing too much. Well, this word's to us. We don't see why a lot of things aren't working out. We don't see why our feelings are so jacked up, why we're so dissatisfied, why we're so disoriented, why we feel weak in our faith, why we don't have a concern for the things of God. I would say meet Jesus on the roof tonight and let him tell you to look upon your Savior. Not just for salvation from hell, but salvation from yourself. But I would also say... Everyone's bitten with sin. Everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If I just started going through the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you, you might not be guilty of all ten. You might not think you're guilty of all ten. Something's going to get you, though. Somebody say amen. I just coach question to teenagers right now. How are you doing honoring your mom and dad? Lord Jesus, help me. What is God saying? God is saying, hey, hey, questioning soul, pained soul, guilt-ridden soul, come to the answering Savior. God is working to blow through your life right now. The Spirit is working tonight. He is putting a word of faith in your mouth. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. He's putting it in you. What is the thing? It's Jesus. What do I say? Jesus, I need you. You'll be saved. Saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. The destruction of the flesh. Eternity in hell. The guilt that's real. There's some false guilt, too. That's a whole other sermon series. But there's a lot of real guilt, too. Real guilt that pills don't fix. I've taken them all, I can tell you. I don't know what y'all do. I dove in a bottle for years. My wife will testify. I dove in that thing head first, and I could drink enough to pass out, but I'd always wake up to me. That's why when people wanted my testimony, I was so surprised they wouldn't hear about to quit drinking. I was talking about the reason I won't drink it anymore. It wasn't the power to quit drinking. It was I didn't have a reason for me anymore. The pain was killed dead, and I didn't have to water it. Come to Jesus. Nicodemus is a questioning soul. He meets an answering Savior. Believer, believer, you need to look at Jesus. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I'm not trying to beat you up or make you feel worse than you already do. That's the devil's job. I'm just preaching Christ. We've all been bidden, and God's given us a solution. Hey, here's what's cool. We've got a whole week to work this out. I'm going to baptize a couple folks next week. Isn't that cool? You know why we're going to baptize them? Because they're looking at Jesus, and now they, in looking at Jesus, they want to obey him. Jesus says, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Part of being a disciple is being baptized and committing yourself to being a disciple of Jesus, being a learner and a student, following the teacher. The teacher who's going to keep you looking at himself. Maybe the day is your day where you believe God 
he's planted so many metaphors. What were they all about? They were about pointing us to the one master, and that's Jesus. I won't force it. If the Holy Ghost don't invite you in, oh, let's not kid ourselves. He's inviting you in. Will we answer? Let's pray. Father, what a rich story. Thank you for Nicodemus. Thank you for his life. Thank you that you put him on display. Whether he wanted to be on display or not, you put him on display for our benefit, for, for your glory. And I see myself in this story. I probably had way more problems than Nicodemus. And, but we both had the exact same central issue. We needed to be born again. Holy Spirit, blow through East Rock Community Church. Blow through our families. Blow through and reveal Jesus to us. Give us faith and cause us to put it right back in Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen and amen.